next to you. There's one on your phone. Uh, we, we want you to have a Bible. We are continuing this series called Afterlife, where we're examining exactly what happens uh, after we die, or what happens when we're finished with this uh, moment of life. And so that's where we've been, we said, in week one. Uh, we said that we, every person is eternal. Every human being, because we're made in God's image, is actually eternal. We go on forever. Um, and then uh, two, uh, that was two weeks ago. Then last week, we had the opportunity just to examine briefly what it means for all that call on the name of Jesus to go into his presence and what begins to happen in us or to us when we go into his presence. This week, we are going to examine exactly what it means when you reject or don't choose not to follow Jesus and what it means to be eternally separated from God. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's really everybody's favorite subject to study. I can promise you that. And, um, and so uh, every, every, every uh, person just is desperate. They're always looking for churches that talk about hell all the time. I know. So... Um, but we are going to discuss that this morning uh, because we need to be faithful to the text. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, kind of get in. Will you pray with me? In fact, you can pray for me because no preacher likes preaching on this. So uh, let's pray. Lord, you're the faithful king of the ages. And you have crafted every one of us to be eternal. We're made in your image that way. We go on forever. And what you have said over and over and over and over again in your word is that you want us to be with you. So show us. Show us truth. Show us life. Show us your heart. Would you lead us faithfully? You're the great shepherd. Jesus, you're the first pastor. You shepherd us. We're, we're ready to follow you. Would you illuminate your word? And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to just start by answering the question, why are we talking about this subject called hell? Why are we addressing it? I want you to know right off the bat, the reason we're talking about this is because of all the teachers, of all the poets, songwriters, prophets, apostles in all the scripture, Jesus taught about hell more than any other person. Jesus taught about hell more than, in fact, if you can, and then when you came in, uh, you got a set of notes or you got a worship guide on the back of that worship guide. If you want to follow along with us, you can uh, in filling out notes. Of all, the, of all the people and all the words that are expressed in the scripture, nobody actually taught more, gave more clarity, more understanding to the reality of complete separation from God, the Father, than Jesus. And the question is, Why? I think that just the base answer, I think what we're going to see in Scripture, the answer is this is what he came to save us from. The point of the Son of God coming to earth. 
and living a sinless life and coming and willfully submitting to pain and death on the cross, taking our sin on him, is because there is a reality called hell, eternal separation from God. And it's exactly what he came to save us from, period. Beyond all the incredible teaching that we receive about, from Jesus about who God is, apart from all the incredible insight that he gave to us about the kingdom of God and heaven and, uh, and, and, and the church and all that he wants to do in our lives, what he definitively came to do was ransom us from total and utter separation from God. Now, I want to deal with the fact that the church has not had a great healthy relationship with the issue of hell. We just have to, let's be honest. Um, probably every one of us has either been confronted by someone in the church or from the church that used hell in a way to pummel people, to judge people, to make people feel afraid or fearful. Uh, and, you know, some of you grew up in churches where it was like turn or burn, right? You know, we talk about that. Some of you are afraid to admit they're like, yes, I did. I, I remember saying, somebody saying turn or burn. I remember that, yeah. In fact, I just, I actually, my, my first, I was thinking about this this week, the first time that I can remember as a child, thankful that I grew up in a godly home and I'm, you know, my parents are in church all the time. And I remember I'm in, I'm in children's ministry. There's a puppet show going on and one of the puppets is about to be lit on fire. And I'm like, oh my gosh. God save me. That's how I remember, like legitimately, that was, and I, I, I was saved at that moment. Now, I think I, by the grace of God, God uses bad stuff in the church anyway, you know, to get us to the right place. But I actually remember that was my first, like, I don't want to be separated from God because separation from God sounds uh, miserable. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, what we have been doing all throughout this series is uh, there's a vast teaching all throughout the scripture about life after death. What we've been keying in on are actually Jesus's words. What we've been looking at is the one that many people often look to, even people outside of the church, or even people that don't think that Jesus is the Messiah, they'll look at Jesus and say, well, listen, he was, he was inclusive, he was tolerant, he was a teacher of love, you're supposed to love everybody. And th- these are words that are spoken about Jesus. So I think it's important for us to look at Jesus's words so that we can examine it. And I don't, yeah, I didn't even give you a scripture. Go to Matthew chapter 10. I told you to grab a Bible, Matthew chapter 10. And I, what we're going to actually see is that Jesus wants to deal with the idea of fear and hell. And so in many ways, the church has misused the teaching, the reality of hell uh, in a fear-based way. And Jesus actually wants to deal with it. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 10, you can turn to verse 26. So let me just, before we start reading, let me just set this up for you. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's going, listen, I'm fixing to send you out. I'm, I'm, well, here's what he's saying is, I'm fixing to make you a church. I'm going to make you a group of people that love each other and love me. This is what identifies you. And I'm about to send you out and I want to make you effective in life. And I want you to tell people about me. I want you to speak. 
speak about who I am. I, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that has come to save. And you're going to go out, and, but just you got to know this. It's going to look bad. It, it's going to go badly for you in many ways. And there are many people that are going to reject you, and there are going to be many people that hate you because of what you're preaching and teaching. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you some instruction on how to deal with that. And at no point in time does he say, so by the way, so when, you know, if they reject you, what you need to say is turn or burn. This is not what he's saying at all. That's not the instruction, right? He's saying, I'm going to go out, but you need to hear this. It's not going to go well for you, which just by the way, should just, this is like total side note, but man, Jesus is just being so real here going, listen, I'm, I'm on purpose sending you out. And by the way, it's just not going to look good. You're going to get laughed at, possibly even persecuted, maybe even unto death, but I'm still sending you. All right, so Jesus is real about this thing. Now look at verse 26. So have no fear of them. For nothing that is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So this is what he's saying. It's like, this thing has been just among us. It's about to get real. Now, I want you to understand this. Now look at what he says, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather... Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So just pause real quick. Looking at these guys and he's saying, listen, I'm sending you out. And it's not going to go well. And, it, and by the way, I'm asking you to shout it from the rooftops. And by the way, you probably need to deal with this issue of fear because it's entirely possible you're going to get killed over this thing. And by the way, they did. They were. But you don't need to fear those who can kill your body. This is not what you need to be worried about. Because as we said two weeks ago, this life is like four seconds and everything we do is about the next life to come. And so what he says is, here's where you need to fear. Here's what needs to be going on in your heart is there is one who has power and authority to both kill soul, both body and soul. And he's saying, this is where your heart needs to be considerate of. This is what you need to be ruminating on, is there is one who has total authority in all righteousness and all holiness to deal perfectly with every person, body, soul, and spirit. And he's saying that's where, that's, if you have a trembling inside of you, you need to understand there's one that we tremble before in holy fear of. Now, it takes a quick turn. And I love this, right? I love what he says next. So if you've ever wondered about God's heart as it relates to the fact that he does stand in judgment. We're going to get into judgment and righteousness here in just a moment. 
But we have to see this and understand this before we go any further. Now look at verse 29. So he just said this. Don't fear anybody that can kill your body. That's nothing. this, This body's gone in an instant. Fear one who can kill both body and soul. Now, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And I'm sure that disciples are like, what? Like, you were super intense. You're about to send us out. It's probably going to get bad. Birds? Okay. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Meaning this, he sees it all. Little, little birds fluttering around all the time. He's got all this. Not one of them. God's dictating all of it. You understand that? Nothing outside of his sovereign control. A little caterpillar. Butterflies, cicadas, they're everywhere right now. The shells are popping up on like everything, it seems like. Like on my eyeball, I feel like there's cicada shells. They're out here. You're not, is that not, you're not experienced that? It's Tennessee? No? You're like, we don't even know. What are you talking about? Okay. Sorry, the, just, just trying to give you a picture of God's sovereignty by talking about cicada on my eyeball. All right. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you, it's easier to count than others. Sorry, just, I don't know. I just, I'm going to mess with you until we get to the end of this thing. Fear not, therefore. Now look at this. Fear not. Everybody say, fear not. That's good. Fear not. Okay. Fear not, therefore, You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. He's looking at you. He's saying, you have worth. You have no idea about. Fear not. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So here's what he's saying. With this issue of dealing with the fact that there is a bona fide, real, eternal separation from God. And what he's, he looks at them and says, listen, The fear that we ought to have is the righteous fear of the one who has the judgment over these issues, but fear not. Guess what? He cares for you. He is for you. If God is dealing with the birds of the field, how much more valuable are you? And what he's saying is, is listen, God is looking at you. God is not eager Listen to this. God is not eager to eternally punish people. What he's eager to do is pull us into his family. He's actually pleading with us. Come out of this place of judgment. God's not trying to scare people. He's actually faithfully reaching to people to say, come into my family. And this is the good news, right? 
This is the good news. If, you, you heard, if you've heard, you grew up in church, you heard the word gospel. This is the gospel of Christ. You heard the word gospel. It's just, it's the Greek word means good news. This is the good news. And the, the thing about good news is you can't know what the good news is until you know what the bad news is. See, good news isn't really good news unless you know what the bad news is. So Jesus, with his own words, is being honest about what the bad news actually is so that you can rightly know what the good news is, right? So we all know, we, we know about good news and bad news, all right? The bad, you know, bad news. We haven't had, and there's been no football for six months. Good news, it starts next week. Thank you, God, right? Good news, bad news. How many of you this morning uh, used a, uh, a faucet of some, some, turned on some kind of running water this morning? Anybody, anybody, yeah? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, we're staying away from you. You should have some version of running water in your life, okay? Now listen, nobody, I can guarantee you, nobody thought in terms when you turned on the faucet to brush your teeth this morning, nobody thought about it in terms of good news, all right? Nobody thought about it that way. There are 850 million, somewhere between 850 million and 1.1 billion people on the earth that do not have access to clean running water. Let me tell you, running water to them is good news. Know why? Because the bad news is they don't have it. You don't really know. You can't feel intrinsically what's actually good news unless you know what the bad news is. The bad news is what sets up the good news. You've all played the game before. I got good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? We've all been there and done that. But The bad news is actually what defines what the good news actually is. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. That's what he's saying is, listen, here's the bad news. Is every person, our default station, the default is not heaven. The default condition of the soul apart from God is not heaven. The default of the condition of the soul is total separation from God because of the sin. And Jesus isn't actually trying to scare us with the information. Actually, what he's saying is, I want you to be awakened to this reality. He's not, Jesus isn't a fear monger. That's not who he is. But he's dead serious about revealing the righteous holiness of God. That's what he's set to do. He's serious about humanity understanding how far removed, how badly we have transgressed uh, the glory of God. We've come against him. We've turned our backs on him. And every sin, no matter how big, no matter how small, every decision to find our delight in something other than God, to put our hope in something other than God, something lesser, something that's futile, every ounce of doing that is an offense to the magnificence of the glory of God. We've been unjust and wrong. And what is right and what is good and what is holy is Jesus being honest about it and calling it broken. We've literally chosen over and over again, slavery rather than God. 
so uh, in our house, we just, in our, with our kids, we just started doing these little Bible studies there. It's got, it's like seven minutes and trying to encapsulate the entire narrative of a book of the Bible. So we've just been going systematically. Our kids trying to study the word of God and watching these little videos and then having this discussion afterward. So here's what's unfolded. We just started in Genesis, right? And we're working our way through. And let me tell you what the story of the Bible, I don't care if it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I don't care which book you're looking at. Let me tell you what the story is. God so desperately wants his people to be with him. And truthfully, they throw the middle finger at him and say, no, we'll choose ourselves. We like our own way. We like our own gods. We like our own pleasures. We like our own kings. We like our own, we we like our own way. And over and over, they've looked at him and said, no thanks, you're not good enough. And they turn their back on him. And then God, in infinite mercy, deals with them, disciplines them, and draws them back. And then the story starts all over again. And you know what we've discovered in our household is we've done the same thing. The same thing that happens in Genesis through Revelation is what we see in our own household. There's so many days where we choose our own way, turn our back on the most beautiful, magnificent, glorious thing there is. The beauty and the majesty of God. And we choose our own way all the time. We aren't any different. We worship sex. We'll worship money. We'll worship power. We'll worship influence. We'll we'll worship popularity. We worship comfort. We worship spouses. We worship kids. We worship education. We worship movies and video games and 10,000 things that we'll give our heart to over and over. None of those things in and of themselves being wrong, but we just give ourselves to it saying, listen, God, you're lesser than those things. We do it all the time. We are broken in sin. We've severely turned from the Lord. We've all chosen all of these things and snubbed our nose to the purity and the kindness and the beauty and the majesty, the holiness of God. And all of humanity is inflicted with this disease. And Jesus is just looking and he's saying, listen, this is the reality of what we've done. And so, come and know that your father looks at you and wants to do something about it. Loves you and he wants to do. So easily forget. We so easily forget that we've all deserved punishment. We've all deserved judgment. And we've all gone astray. You can throw that on the screen. We've all deserved these things. Every one of us has been in that place. And justice demands a reckoning. Justice demands a reckoning. Now listen, everybody in this room understands justice. We all get it. We all understand justice. You order something from amazon.com and it doesn't get there, prime two days, somebody's gonna hear about it. (laughs) You're smart, you're like, is it okay to laugh? We're talking about hell, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Am I in trouble? If you've had kids, basically 82% of your parenting is dealing with trying to find justice for the kid that got their eye poked by the other kid. 
We all understand justice. If you've been following the, uh, if you've been following the news, just a couple of instances last week, this last week, uh, college girl, sweet college girl in Iowa, Molly Tibbetts, if you follow the news, taking a jog, murdered. Or you follow the story in Colorado where the mom who's 15 weeks pregnant and has the, the two, little, two little daughters and husband murders all of them and hides their bodies. And you feel it. That's not right. That's not... That is not okay. And you feel burning inside of you. And I know I feel it because I got daughters. And let me tell you how I would feel. We all understand justice. There is nothing wrong, in fact, with the, the concept of justice. It comes right out of the heart of God. We see it in our culture. We feel the weight of it in our own lives. And we go, listen, this is not okay, We need justice. Something in anger rises up when we see unjust things being let go. If there's no punishment, if there's no repercussions for something that is wrong happening, we start banging the walls and screaming and saying, it's not okay, this is not all right. We need justice. And that brings up that critical question, right? That issue of hell. Because we all ask the question, if God is so good... And so loving, how could he ever possibly send someone to eternal separation? That's the real question. We all ask that question. How can God be loving and then full of wrath at the same time? How how does that work? And the answer is, of course, justice. The answer is, that the church has been amazing at declaring that God is so loving and so merciful and so gracious. But we at many, many times have not been willing to say God is holy and righteous. He's, yes, he's, he's more loving than anything we could ever wrap our minds around. But church, he is holy too. And there is justice for things done wrong. And we're okay with the concept of justice. I remember uh, I was reading as I was looking at this um, message, and I, there's a, a quote from a Christian author. Her name is Rebecca Pippert. She says this, think how we feel when someone we love, when someone we love is ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? She says, far from it. So just stop here. When someone you love is ravaged by something that is unjust, how does it feel? It's painful internally. You don't want to see that happen anymore. You feel anger rise up. You don't want that to happen. You see someone's life that you love crumbling because of something that's broken. You go, I don't want that anymore. I want justice. We feel the weight of that. She goes on to say, listen, anger is not the opposite of love. Hate 
is the opposite of love, and the final form of hate is indifference. Anger is not the opposite of love. In fact, when you love somebody, you can find yourself stirred up more, your emotions are stirred up more for someone you love than someone that you don't know or isn't in your family. Hate is the final, hate is in the final form, hate is the opposite of love and the final form of hate is indifference. And hear this, make no mistake, God is not indifferent about you. He is not indifferent about you. You are not a sideshow. You are not a pet. You are not a robot. You have consequence in the eyes and the heart of God. You are made in his image. You matter. He's not indifferent about you. He's not indifferent about me. And what God is trying to say is, I don't want you separated from me. And he made a way. God's not looking to put us in hell. Let me tell you, God's not looking to put anyone in hell. What God is looking to do is draw all men to himself. That book that you're holding is the evidence. That book that you're holding on to is the declaration God does not want you to perish does not want you to be that way. God is shouting from his word. He's shouting from creation. He's shouting from his actions in sending his son. And now through his church, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to perish. Can you throw that up on the screen? I do not want you to perish. That's what he's saying all throughout the scripture, over and over and over again. I don't want you to go down this road. Ezekiel 18, 23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. That's what he's saying. Meaning this, God's not delighting in those that perish. He's wanting, desiring for people's hearts to turn back toward him. If you grew up in church, it was probably the first verse you ever heard, ever memorized in your life, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, remember what we're talking about here, the radical love of God. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There's a whole second half that whoever would believe in that son would not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The bad news is we're so broken. The good news is, is God is screaming, be in my family, come in my family. Don't keep giving your heart to all the stuff that you often give it to. Just stay with me. Come to be a part of my family. God will have justice over all sin. He will at the end of the age. And he's ready to apply all of our brokenness to Jesus so that we can be alive. And so God's saying, listen, don't be separated from me. But hear this, it's more than that. It's more, listen, hell is more than just a doctrine trying to keep us, uh, 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 more than just a doctrine where, where God's saying, listen, I don't want you to 
go down this road, it's also the expression of his love. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or in these terms, but eternal separation from God, hell, as it were, is a complete and utter declaration of the love of God. Hell's the measure by which we know how deeply God loves us because he endured hell in order to save us. Have you ever wondered, the, have you ever had the question? Have you ever wondered in your heart, does God actually really love me? The answer is definitive from the word. Hell isn't just the place of utter separation from God. Here it is. It is the measure by which he was willing to go to and through so that you and I could be with him. You have to think about it, right? Jesus' body is being destroyed. He's hanging on a cross. That's what's taking place. And that's not the worst part of it, right? It's actually minute in comparison to what's happening to his soul because his father in this moment has turned his back on him. You ever, um, you ever been hurt by somebody that loves you? Of course you have. You've been hurt by somebody that loves you. Listen, some, somebody that's a stranger and they look at you and they go, I forget you. They write you off some argument, random argument. With some, it's no big deal. You move on in life. Your father or mother, or your child looks into your eyes and says, forget you. It means something. You feel the weight of it. It hurts. This is what Jesus was enduring on the cross. Jesus willfully went to the cross to experience hell because that's how much he loved you and me. He's just willing to go there. Here's what he said. I'll go to hell so you don't have to. I'm willing to take the punishment. Let me tell you something right now. If you are in Christ, if you've called on the name of Jesus this morning, you've experienced the worst there is to experience living in this life. Jesus took the punishment. So we never have to experience what's described in scripture ever. But conversely, for all who turn their back on Jesus or just choose to ignore him, we use the word reject all the time. Goes, well, I don't reject Jesus. I just don't care. Listen, choose to ignore him. This is as good as life will ever be. This is the best you get. And I can promise you this life is a mess. And you know it. And Jesus said, listen, I'll tell you how much I love you. I'll take hell so you don't have to have it. That's how much he loves you. I mean, it's his heart. That's what he wanted to declare to us. He loves us more than we'll ever know. He was more on, you know, Jesus was more honest about the Father's love than anyone else in all creation. He was more honest about the holiness of his Father than anyone. He, he both upheld the holiness of his Father and he upheld the love of his Father and he said, this is what God wants to give so faithfully to us. He looked on people with dignity and he called them up out, right? The woman that, that when Jesus finds the woman in radical sexual sin, in her life, 
Does he look at her and say, turn or burn? Or does he look on her and say, daughter, your sins are forgiven. No one here is judging you and I'm not either. Would you come follow me? Go and sin no more. This is what Jesus is screaming to the world. This is what he's saying. I love you. I don't care how. In fact, Jesus loved on the worst people in the, the most disobedient, dishonest, treacherous, notorious people, the most rejected people in the, their entire culture. And those are the people Jesus was reaching out to. He's saying, God's got a big old family. He wants you to be in it. That's the narrative. He came to show the Father's heart. That's what he did. He was saying, listen, sin is serious. It separates us from him. And God's love is radical. And I'll go to hell so you don't have to. That's what his word says. And so God's made a way for us to escape judgment and brokenness. And hear this. This is what a truly loving God does. This is what a truly loving God does. He endures the penalty of his own holy justice so that we can be with him. If you actually want to validate the love of God, if we want it to be stamped, ironclad in our lives, the way that we know it is that he went to the end paid the penalty of his own justice so we could be free. That's how much he loves. That's who he is. My prayer is that we know the heart of God as we wrestle with this, right? This is, this is the, some of the hardest stuff that we wrestle with in all the truth of God's word. And my prayer is that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt how much we're loved so that we can, when we look at those in the eyes of those that don't yet trust or don't yet know Jesus, we can look at them and declare the love of God for them. That's what God wants us to do, right? There's no turn or burn message in the Bible. What you have is a faithful God saying, I care for you and I want you in my family. And we'll go to the, whatever means it takes to have you in this family. What God said is, I'll send my son to pay for my own justice so that you can be free. Will you pray with me? In fact, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. and I just, I'm, I'm gonna take literally three minutes here. I'm gonna ask you not to look around. I'm not here to manipulate you. There's no music playing. I'm not singing a big song. This is just an opportunity for you to be honest with the Lord. And you're in this place and you've been grappling with whether or not you're ready to follow or give your life to trust Jesus to receive forgiveness of sin and brokenness. And you just sense the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. If that's you, it's just an opportunity. It's a moment to just respond to him, to say yes. 
It's an invitation, if you will, where God's just saying, I want you in my family. I don't want you to stay outside. If that's you, just be honest with the Lord. I promise you I'm not gonna chase you down. But you between, between you and the Lord, would you just say, that's me? Would you raise your hand and say, God, I need to give my heart, my life to you? Feel free to raise. Okay. If you find yourself uh, this morning, and maybe you've even personally wrestled with the reality or the doctrine of eternal separation from the Lord, but maybe you've just found yourself in a place lackadaisical, with sin or with things that have kept you from him, meaning you know there are things that are just keeping you from him, things that have kept you at a distance. And you're just ready to say, God, I just, I want to come back to that place of just being in a healthy place, just with you and your family, where I don't feel a distance from you. I want to be honest and real and candid with you. And I just want to, I want to, re-engage your heart. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand really quick Just say, that's me. I know the Lord's just dealing with me in this. That's good. Thank you. And then just finally, there's, there's some of you, you have some, real, you have some loved ones uh, that you believe or know they've just chosen to reject the Lord and then not turn their heart toward him. Maybe they're hurt. They've been hurt by the church. They're disappointed in God. They were hurt by, in their minds, they're hurt by God or maybe just have been indifferent in all in, in general to the truth of Christ. And you just have a sense that you're just meant to faithfully continue to love them not a turn or burn message, but to love them, encourage them, speak life and blessing truth. Just to be a loving representation of God and you just feel stirring in your heart saying, I just want to be faithfully loving. For those that don't yet know you, maybe you've just sensed that stirring. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I just, I want to be faithful. That's good. Thank you. All over the place. Father, right now, we together so gladly and so thankfully tell you how honored we are to have your faithful love in our lives. Thank you for ransoming us from brokenness. Thank you for declaring your love for us by going to hell for us so that we didn't have to. Thank you for making a way for us to have life. We honor you and we bless you. And we thank you for this moment. Would you faithfully lead us? May we walk in that incredible forgiveness that you gave to us at the cross. May we walk with total confidence this week. Total confidence in your love for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you guys would go ahead and stand up, we're going to dismiss in our benediction this morning. Pray a blessing over us as we go.